electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, the coin crush. Coinbase dropping in its first day of trading. So what happened? Exclusive reaction from an early Coinbase investor. Plus, the big winner. One of our traders says this is the true standout stock in today's batch of bank earnings. We'll bring you the name and how to trade it. Check out the after hours move in Dell. Shares soaring as the company announces a big spinoff. We've got the full details ahead. But we start off with a $2 trillion question. Did Coinbase just mark the peak of the crypto craze? Now, before you come at us, <laughs> this is why we're asking. Coinbase started trading this afternoon at 381 a share, hit a high of 429, and was all downhill from there. Shares finishing the day nearly 14% below its opening price. And as Coinbase fell, check out what happened to Bitcoin. The cryptocurrency pulling back from all-time highs to drop nearly 2% following the first trades on Coinbase. We saw similar moves, by the way, from the Bitcoin proxies. Tesla, which started the day in the green, falling 3.6% from the first Coinbase trade. MicroStrategy down 4.2% from that opening trade. So with the coming of Coinbase, are the best days behind us for this crypto craze? Guy. Definitely not. I mean, it's a peak. It's a peak in the terms of the fact that Bitcoin made an all, I believe it made an all-time high today. But I don't think it's going to be the peak at all. I think it makes sense for us to talk about it. I mean, all the stars line up and the price action today and everything you mentioned lends itself to exactly that. But, you know, not that I am a well-versed, nearly as well-versed. BK has forgotten more about this than I've learned. But I just think this is <laughs> going to be one of those steps along the way. I mean, six months from now, we're going to be having a much different conversation in terms of the market cap of cryptocurrencies, mm-hmm. um, probably closer, I would say, to $5 trillion than the $2 trillion it is now. So a peak, but not the peak, in my opinion. Yeah. Tim, what's your take? And I guess there are two separate issues. There's this notion that maybe this marked some sort of a, a peak, at least within this a spectrum of, of crypto craze that we have seen you know, over the past months, year or so, um, or how Coinbase itself traded, because there were very high expectations for this stock. It was trading on the exchange FTX overseas, a, a futures contract tied to Coinbase, and that was expecting you know, $600 a share. We didn't go anywhere near that today. Um, but what's your take? Well, I mean, look, the, the, the fact of the matter is that Coinbase validates, you know, think of think of the subscriber base, think of the user base. You know, you have 56 million, you had record first quarter uh, revenues of one point eight billion. So very profitable company, two and a half times more profitable in the first quarter than they were all of last year. So so this is uh, just put it and it's put a bright light on the interest in cryptocurrencies and digital. And it's happened at a time when we spent a lot of focus on NFTs and, and other derivative forms of the digital economy. And, and therefore, um, look, it's easy to point to this moment and say, was this the you know, AOL Time Warner merger? Or was this Netscape coming public? And I, you know, there's all kinds of comparisons. Um, but, but I think ultimately, uh, the reality is that we've seen is a, a much, broad, much more broad rally across other digital tokens in the last you know, really year to date, um, as Bitcoin's gone from 29,000 to 60,000. 3,000 or such. 
So, you know, that to me is more of, of what we're doing here. I, I think this conversation, uh, I'm not sure we would have expected we could have had this conversation two years ago, let alone four years ago. Um, so I, I, it's not a question of validation. It's a question of really what is the value of this company um, that gets 50 basis points on each transaction? And we know that's going to compress. Um, but what are their other opportunities? Yeah. And Karen, how do you how do you answer that question? What's your view of this? Because they they have to think of a lot of I mean, right now, about 90 percent of their revenue comes from retail transactions. And so if that compresses, they better find Mm -hmm. another a line item of revenue pretty fast. Yeah, well, they're trying to. I mean, they mm-hmm. talk a bit about subscription. They'd like to build that business, but that's not obviously what's driving it right now. I mean, as Tim talked about, those margins are really extraordinary. And so this is a this is it's not an IPO. It was a direct listing, but it's one that actually makes money. You can sort of turn yourself somewhat into a pretzel and get how it's not a crazy, crazy price. You have to think that the explosive growth of the first quarter, which really was quite extraordinary doesn't need to be quite that giant every time, but it needs to sustain huge growth for a while. And, and I think it can. I think, though, that whether or not it thinks it should be tied to Bitcoin in the short term, it will be just because people look at it as a proxy, an easier way to trade Bitcoin. And, you know, I think we've seen just today you brought up the top of the show, the example of how they sort of traded in lockstep. But I, I think this might be a short-term top. We've seen so many short-term tops in the crypto space, though. This could, this could be one that wouldn't be shocking. But I also I agree with Guy. I don't think this is the end of the Bitcoin or cryptocurrency run yeah. at all. It's now getting into a whole other stage of adoption. Yeah. And before Bitcoin Twitter comes after us or comes after me, because Bitcoin Twitter is a whole, is a fierce group out there. We're not saying peak in Bitcoin in terms of Bitcoin's never going to see that level ever again. But in terms of the craze, the, the sort of mania that we've seen, at least just this year, I mean, you take a look at the returns. Bitcoin is more than a double uh, this year so far. And we're all, all, only in April, um, Dan. So how do you interpret how Coinbase traded and the timing of this direct listing. Well, well, first things first, Mel, if, if you want to keep crypto Twitter away from you, stop taking, uh, stop saying it's down on the day Coinbase. Like I would take that down 13%. I get rid of it. Okay. It was a direct listing. Obviously there was a reference price. It opened trading, um, you know, at 381. It sold off from that. I, I, I mean, so, so that's, that's one place to start. The second place um, I would go with this is that, listen, you know, you talk about near-term tops, sentiment tops, that sort of thing. I mean, obviously Bitcoin has been um, very volatile um, over the last, you know, 10 years. Um, but this peak to trough declines that we've seen in just this year, the year that it's up 100% um, with over a trillion dollar market cap, we've seen those peak to trough declines to get smaller and smaller, right? In January, it was about 30%. And then the decline in February was 26%. And then last month, it's 18%. And here we are making new highs. Um, so, you know, obviously there are buyers as the thing comes in. As it relates to Coinbase, I'll just say this, is that this direct listing li- allows a lot of insiders and others to get some liquidity that maybe they haven't had in a while. Yes, there's been plenty trading on the private markets. And if you think about the ecosystems and you think about the people who might be selling to kind of do other projects in the um, the crypto ecosystem, that's probably the next leg of this trade. We've seen it in a lot of different technologies over the last 20 years when um, you've seen it in the internet in particular, where uh, people leave the PayPal mafia, that sort of thing, and right. then they go on to do other things. So I suspect this is a really... Um, 
interesting pivot point for a lot of investors or a lot of insiders who are going to look to do other things over the next 10 years. All right. Um, we mentioned uh, our Bitcoin baller at the top, Brian Kelly. He bought Coinbase at the opening print. He joins us now. So, BK, what, what's, your, what's your take on how it traded today? Yeah, so uh, not, I went from hero to zero. I looked fantastic in the first 10 minutes of trading, uh, but then uh, turned around here. I, I'm not that concerned about it. I mean, may, maybe it's just that I'm jaded by seven or eight years of Bitcoin trading and this type of volatility doesn't concern me. I, I suspect what Dan is saying is probably right. You've got several insiders, maybe not necessarily insiders, but employees that have been locked up. You want to buy a home, you want to start a new project, and that's what's going on here. But I do think that Coinbase has more than just the exchange and just they're more than just an arm ramp into crypto. OK, so then what is it? Because if you just take if you took a look at the pie chart of revenues, it's mostly transactions and it's mostly retail. And that's that's yeah. the state of it now. So what do you see Coinbase becoming to justify where it is trading? So there's two ways to look at Coinbase. You can look at it as just, OK, this is. Uh, this is a brokerage firm, right? And so maybe they're going to do prime brokerage next and they're going to do lending and stuff like that. Or you can look at it as a technology platform that gives you access to the crypto space. And when you look at it that way, there's a lot more. So we'll give you specific examples. Um, mining or staking as a service. That's a really hard business to do that there's no way a Charles Schwab or an E-Trade is going to do that. So maybe Coinbase powers all that when all these other brokers come online. There's a big moat around that business. Crypto lending is another biz part of the business. Secondarily, it's not just Bitcoin on the exchange. Remember, all these other coins trade out there. And if you look at other exchanges like Binance or you mentioned FTX, there's thousands of cryptocurrencies that trade. Coinbase just lists a few of them. So if they are the trusted partner out there for institutions coming in and Bitcoin's the gateway drug, I think there's a lot more on that side as well. Do they do any of these things that you had mentioned that they could do? Yeah, absolutely. So they, okay. they do custody right now. They right, do custody. staking. Uh, Mining as a service. Yeah. Prime broker. I mean, My, Yeah, they do staking, staking as a service. Mm -hmm. Yep. Exactly. Okay. They all do right. all of those and they're growing parts of their business. So it's just a matter of time, in your view, until those parts of the business become much bigger in terms of percent of revenue. That's that's the bet you're making with Coinbase, that they yeah. have to execute on this. Less so much that Bitcoin's going up, but they have to execute. OK, so let me ask you this. Why invest in Coinbase and not just Bitcoin or another cryptocurrency? So this is like a would you rather? Is that what you're I saying? I mean, I guess it's so. kind of a would you rather, but I mean, it, it's, it, it, it's, it's yes. basically reliant no. on this universe of cryptocurrencies and that market expanding. Why not just bet on that market? Yeah, I, listen, it's, I, I completely agree with that. I think this is an interesting part if you want to play the picks and shovels, if you want to play the infrastructure of this. To me, though, the cryptocurrencies have so much more upside. And the reason why is ultimately Coinbase is bounded on its valuation, uh, but currencies grow to the size to, uh, to fit their underlying economy. So Bitcoin, Ethereum have a lot more upside where I think Coinbase ultimately, not here, but ultimately is bounded. All right. Let's get more reaction to this landmark listing. Joining us now is Steve Jang, founder and managing partner at Kindred Ventures and an early Coinbase backer. Steve, great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Uh, first of all, did you sell? Did you sell any any shares? No, I did not. You did Total. not. Why not? Yeah. 
You know, I think this uh, this company uh, Coinbase. So we invested in 2014, and um, the the diligence and the discipline that they've shown in building the company up, even building the institutional aspects of their platform uh, when it was uh, crypto winter, uh, was impressive. And I think that uh, Brian Armstrong, Emily Choi, and team have created a company for the long haul. Now, unlike other tech IPOs that we've seen more recently, including Uber, which uh, we were an early investor in, a lot of IPOs are going public when uh, they're at the maturity stage of their business. I think Coinbase is actually at the beginning of their journey still. Look, they have 56 million user accounts, but have a 7.2 billion annualized run rate on revenue. Uh, There's so much headroom to this business and there's a, a decade or two ahead for them. And I wanted to address um, something that I heard uh, Brian uh, bring up, which is, you know, the question of whether you buy uh, Bitcoin or crypto versus Coinbase. And, and my, my short answer to, to you is that do both. Uh, in 2014, we bought uh, Bitcoin and we bought uh, we invested in uh, Coinbase when it was uh, not it was a non-consensus industry sector. And the reason why we did that is that. You know, as venture investors, we want to learn and we want to meet engineers and we want to get deep in the technology. But from a purely investment perspective, you want to invest in software companies as well that create platforms that uh, that attack and transform so many different sectors. So the question of whether or not it's an exchange or a brokerage or an asset manager or a lender or a crypto wallet company, it's all of the above. And that's the beauty of investing in software platforms. Was Apple just a computer company? Was Amazon just an online bookstore? These companies for the long haul over two or three decades become so much more than that. And that's why I think uh, Coinbase, you know, for us, we look at this as a, as a long-term journey with the company. Hey, Steve, does this, um, you know, this liquidity event, whether it is an event or not, obviously the company did not sell shares and take in cash, but think about all the insiders or think about a lot of early investors who maybe this caps the end of their journey um, in this investment. Do you think that there is the opportunity for just a whole host of new innovation in this crypto ecosystem to be unlocked? And if so, where are you looking in particular? Absolutely. I mean, like I said, this is the very beginning of the crypto industry. This direct listing, you know, it's it's monumental for, for, for several reasons. One, I think it's the third largest mm-hmm. tech public listing ever. I think Al- Alibaba and Facebook um, are the only two larger ones. But they didn't raise any new capital with this direct listing. Uh, they didn't need to. They're deeply profitable. And so I think one of the things that uh, I'm excited about is this company is going to invest in not just uh, a lot of the investment use cases, but they're going to continue to push forward in enabling other companies and other startups in the sector. We're investors in a bunch of ex-Coinbase employees that have created their own startups in DeFi, uh, in NFTs, in uh, uh, crypto protocols as well. And so there's a spawning of new entrepreneurship and new startup uh, innovation that's happening just out of the Coinbase employee base. And what you're going to see moving forward as people go through the natural cycle of liquidity and leaving off to do their own thing, there's so there are already thousands of crypto startups with really talented people building amazing innovation right now. But imagine over the next five years, those people that will come from that Coinbase platform, that learning. And it's been incredible for us to watch as investors to back them. But it'll be incredible for the consumer and the institutional market to see all the products in decentralized finance, NFTs. Uh, also in digital gold, right? Bitcoin is digital gold essentially for the investor. 
Um, there's so many more use cases for Bitcoin that haven't been uh, delved into. Hey, Steve, it's BK. So I'm curious about Coinbase, right? I listed off a whole bunch of different businesses that are in that they need to execute on and grow. From your perspective, watching them grow, which of the sectors, custody, staking, asset management, lending, what's the most promise for them? And what do you think is going to be the kind of their breakout business over the next two years? Sure. So all of those businesses you just described um, uh, are linked to each other, right? Uh, what, what's underpinning that is assets under management, having that trust and that security, and also the software scale to, to manage all of that. And if you look at what they did leading up to this, they, you know, they bought a prime brokerage. They bought Bison Trails, which was um, a node infrastructure company that allows other companies and other protocols uh, to be able to manage blockchain uh, technology. Uh, so I think that they're going, I think they're going into all of these areas because it's just additional product lines off of the same base. Uh, they have two hundred. They have a quarter of a trillion dollars under management right now. Half of that is institutional. Now, a lot of that is because of price appreciation and cryptocurrencies. But if you want to have a platform that normalizes and abstracts away all the complexity of crypto, Coinbase is the only platform on the planet that does that. Even their competitors will tell you okay. they owe it to Coinbase that the crypto industry and their op- their opportunity in their world is even possible. And if you look at the assets under management, Coinbase is managing 10% of the totality of all crypto value on the planet today. And so uh, this is not only an important company for the industry, but it's also one that's paving the way for the entire industry moving forward. And that's what I'm, I'm frankly interested and excited about is what comes after for the company. Sure. Uh, a direct listing by nature is going to be, it's like after a lockup, right? Uh, after a six month lockup in a classic IPO, there's gonna be a lot of up and downs while you know people are uh, finding diversity and there's a lot of trading, but long-term, the long journey, I think is is um, uh, up and to the right for this company. Um, we're, we're just about out of time and the producers are gonna kill me, but I wanna ask you this one last question, Steve, as it relates to Coinbase, the stock, and that is, you know, you had mentioned uh, that a lot of the competitors or, or some similar platforms out there are saying, you know, thanks to Coinbase, you made this all possible, et cetera. I mean, is, isn't that isn't that like what what Robin Hood, Robin Hood would have said, oh, thanks to Fidelity or Schwab for making it a, a possible for us to be here. Robin Hood ended up being a disruptor to other similar platforms. Um, it, com- it came on the scene from out of nowhere, from not traditional finance. It managed to compress fees very rapidly and really change the way the industry does business. And I wonder if you if that's a concern at all when it comes to Coinbase. I think it's a different analogy. I think okay. uh, Coinbase, uh, one, uh, is a software company first. Um, it's, it's a software platform that moves, holds, invests, stakes, lends against crypto, all of these things. Uh, you know, it's an API-driven company as well in terms of storage, uh, application development, on, on-ramping. So what they're doing is they're working with the ecosystem, not sort of in their own silo. And so many of the startups, many of the innovators that would disrupt um, uh, uh, an incumbent uh, are actually working together and dependent upon Coinbase. And moving forward, Coinbase has uh, ambitions to uh, embrace the developer community and be a part of that. And so mm-hmm. I, I see it more as like a, a foundational platform for the industry rather than a silo to be disrupted. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be a little bit different because they also are investing in a lot of startups. So Coinbase Ventures, which we right. uh, partner with closely and co-invest with, 
they're they're nurturing that ecosystem as well. So I think it's a different mindset in this in this uh, very special company. Steve, great to get your thoughts. Thank you so much. Thank you for having Steve me, Steve Jang of Kindred Ventures. Uh, Tim Seymour, where do you go with that? And now, uh, by the way, I I t- asked that same question to Alexis Ohanian this morning, who is also an early Coinbase investor, a co-founder of Reddit. Uh, he had a he had a very similar sort of answer. He had diamond hands, he said, when it came to Coinbase. <laughs> what do you think? Well, it was a really thoughtful discussion, and it, and it kind of sounds a little bit like other big, you know, mega cap tech companies that have also, I mean, think of Google. Think about, uh, you know, laboratories and sidewalk labs, and think of all their ventures. And, and, and uh, you know, I, I, Google is a lot more than just a search engine, and, and at times has seen major compression in 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 that business, or at least challenges to that business from other players. So, um, you know, what I'm hearing is, is that this is uh, a company that's going to continue to be, again, I think the, the quote was nurturing the, uh, the, the, the digital ecosystem and the VC community within it. Um, there's uh, an incredible amount of intellectual, uh, call it capital within the firm, and, and that's moving on in some cases, but not really. Um, so, I mean, the argument here is that this is not just an exchange. Um, that this is part of the ethos of, of uh, and part of the highway of, of the digital world. And, and I, I think there, it remains to be seen. That's obviously a vision. Um, right now, we have profitability, we have metrics, we have multiples mm-hmm. that we, we cling to as investors um, that we try to drop companies in a particular box. And I think people are struggling with this. But clearly, uh, I think there's plenty of folks that think there's significant upside from here. Yeah, I mean, the metaphors to a Google or an Amazon are, are fascinating and would imply, you know, blue skies for this company. Anyway, Brian Kelly. Kelly, our thanks to you for joining us. Appreciate it. My pleasure. All right. Coming up, we're breaking down the banks. One of our traders says this was the real winner in today's batch of big bank earnings. We'll bring you the name. Plus, a shot in the arm from Moderna investors. The stock rallying again today. It's now up 22% in a week. We're breaking down what is behind this big move when fast money returns. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back back to Fast Money. We're following a developing story on Johnson & Johnson. The CDC is still holding a meeting right now on its COVID vaccine. Let's get to Meg Terrell with the very latest. Meg. 
Hey, Melissa. Well, it sounds like this committee is coming to a head right now, and where they are leaning is to not make a decision on the J&J vaccine today. Now, there has been a lot of debate about this after those six cases of rare blood clots with the J&J vaccine, and it sounds as if most of the committee members want more information before they feel comfortable voting to make a recommendation about what to do with this vaccine. Now, one of the considerations they've been talking about today is the fact that here in the U.S., we are lucky enough to have have other vaccines, the mRNA vaccines from Moderna and Pfizer. Uh, They say they have not seen these incredibly rare uh, events associated with them, and there is a plentiful supply of them. And so what you're seeing in terms of Moderna over the course of this week in particular, um, Michael Yee at Jeffrey is putting out a note today noting that the moat around the mRNA vaccines in Moderna Uh, appears to be widening um, as you see these kinds of issues uh, being sorted through. Um, And for Moderna, they had their vaccines day today, and so you are seeing a lot more focus on what is coming next for that company. Can they continue the momentum that they have put into place with this tremendous showing in this pandemic? Coming up for them, uh, studies in kids with their COVID vaccine. They're also updating the vaccine to target variants and talked a lot today at Vaccines Day about how they foresee COVID-19 becoming endemic and needing these booster shots. Uh, And of course, they also talked about other diseases that they're working on, CMV, uh, another virus, RSV, flu, and HIV, um, both of which they plan to start human trials of vaccines for this year. Of course, Mel, you were with us this morning when we talked with Stefan Bonsell, and we asked him, could the other pipeline vaccines be as successful as the COVID one? Here's what he said. We can combine things. And so if the right biology for this virus is free for five antigen, we can do that. We can follow the biology to ensure high efficacy. So do I believe most of those vaccines have a high chance to get high efficacy to the market? I do believe so. And guys, just now we got word that there will be no vote from that Johnson & Johnson uh, advisory committee meeting from the CDC. They are going to wait for more data and try to gather that very quickly and come together and be able to make a recommendation uh, on the risk-benefit analysis there. But as of now, after this discussion today, no vote. And presumably that recommendation for the pause will stay in place. Mel. All right, Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell. And of course, the longer this goes on, um, I would think the confidence in... The Johnson Johnson vaccine specifically, but maybe vaccines in general uh, for people who were on the fence already may go down as well. Uh, Guy, where do you take this? We did see quite a move in Moderna today. We've got a lot of catalysts there. We had a conversation last night Mm -hmm. and I cited Karen, some of the things she's been saying. She's here tonight so she can speak for herself. But one of the points she made was Moderna is probably best suited. and, And I hate to even bring up the word, but, you know, to monetize what they have going on, they're probably best suited going forward in a world we're going to be dealing with these things, unfortunately, from time to time. I thought the stock should have been much higher yesterday. I guess it made up for it today. And I do think it can trade up to that previous high of 189. I think, by and large, we've done a decent job sort of handicapping this name. And I think the next leg is continued higher in Moderna. Yeah. And to that point, and I'll go to Karen on this, of course, uh, you know, getting uh, the, the latest data on efficacy six months out moves it closer to full approval, which means that it can sell then to companies directly, which would be, you know, big uh, for Moderna. And also with Johnson Johnson AstraZeneca vaccines largely sidelined, at least for now, the pricing pressure goes away. And then Bonsell this morning was talking about boosters and how he's so excited about that, Karen. So there's a lot of things here sort of lining up. Yeah, there is. Actually, I heard Guy last night while I was on the Peloton. Um, 
I thought that, I mean, there are a lot of positives. He's right. I think this is the, the one that's most set up to, to monetize. And all the things you talked about, Bank talked about variants, booster shots, and then, um, you know, other, other customers direct. And then um, other, other, you know, they talked about HIV, other ones. I mean, all that having been said, though, the stock is up huge. It should be good for them. Um, for me, you know, I, I'd rather, and I do own, if I wouldn't I'd rather myself, uh, <laughs> Pfizer, which it doesn't move the needle for them. They have obviously a great vaccine as well. Um, but it just didn't look in terms of relative value and sort of risk reward. I mean, Pfizer to me, a lot of big cap pharma, just the risk reward, very compelling here. Yeah. So, but congratulations to them. Extraordinary. Dan, what's your take on the, on the vaccine sitch? Yeah, so I agree with Karen on the Pfizer. If you look at the one-year chart, this thing has been as low as 30, as high as 43. It's trading around 37 here. It seems like every time you want to get excited about how well that they have done, um, and, you know, I think that there are catalysts, you know, the 12 to 15 range, the the potential for boosters. Um, this is all good news. We don't actually have to feel bad uh, about being capitalists here, thinking about this. They did um, great work in an extraordinary time, and now they're delivering. So to me, I think Pfizer's probably the way to play back towards those prior highs and low 40s. All right. We've got a lot more ahead here on Fast Money. Here's what is coming up next. Hey, Google, when is the housing market going to crash? You won't believe how many people are asking that very question. The housing trade ahead and blowout big bank earnings. Is this the spark the financials needed to jumpstart a rally? Our next guest says so, and he's ready to name names. We've got that and a lot more when Fast Money returns. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed Internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. Welcome back to Fast Money. We got a trifecta blowout bank earnings. Goldman Sachs, Wells Fargo, JP Morgan all crushing first quarter estimates. Check out the moves of the names. Wells Fargo, the big winner, gaining almost 6%. Goldman moving higher. Uh, JP Morgan actually fell. Karen, which one stands out to you? Well, two, but on the upside, it was Wells Fargo. And the reason is, you know, they all had similar things going on. They all had, you know, um, net interest margins that actually weren't great, but they all had other parts of the business. Asset management was great. Credit was great. Reversal of, of uh, reserves, which added to the bottom line, but that's not really a recurring item. But the thing to me that was a standout about Wells Fargo is they still have expenses that they really can address. And when they're able to do that, that is a recurring item, right? Their expense ratio is too high. That would be a recurring item. Also, their call was very, very positive. Um, and so that helped the stock actually traded up during the call. The flip side, I, Jamie Dimon, to me, seemed to be seething. He was pissed about regulation. You know, he talked about fintech in his letter as well. Not, you know, they are not hamstring the way big banks are um, and his desire to really do deals. I mean, you know, I don't have any particular insight into his head. It's just, you know, I love him. But restraining order notwithstanding, I think he really feels that uh, they're not fully appreciated. They'd love to do some more fintech deals. I think he feels square. Missing square was, you know, one of the biggest mistakes he's made. 
And, you know, seeing the way the relative value of how these things trade, fintech versus banks, I think he's finding it very frustrating. All right. Well, our next guest predicts the big beat. But I'm still long. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Of course you are. (laughs) Big beat should jumpstart the bank rally. Uh, Gerard Cassidy is the head of U.S. Bank Equity Strategy at RBC Capital Markets. Gerard, great to have you with us. Um, Just curious, do you agree with Karen in terms of Wells Fargo? Uh, thank you, Melissa. Yes, the Wells Fargo story is has one unique feature that Karen already identified, which is the cost savings. They came out in the fourth quarter pointing out that they want to reduce their operating expenses by $8 billion. They have a target expense level this year of $53 billion, and the fourth quarter level of expenses is expected to be lower than the first quarter. So that really sets them apart from everybody else. Because as you guys know, a rising tide lists all banks. And we saw that today with the investment banking results. Gerard, I look at this, I try to make it simple because that's what I typically do in life. But you know, I think one of the reasons JP Morgan's price action was disappointing because tangible book came in below expectations, I think 66 and a half. The market says, you know, wait a second, JP Morgan's trading 2.3 times tangible book. And then I look at a city whose tangible book is now 77-ish, and I say maybe that's the one that people should be looking at. Am I making it too simple, or is it as easy as that? No, Guy, I I think you're right. When you take a look at what's gone on with the risk-on banks, a name like Citigroup or Bank America, we all know those names got hurt very badly in 2008 and 2009. They trade at very big discounts to the Starworth, which is, of course, J.P. Morgan. What we envision seeing over the next 12 to 18 months is those di- uh, discounts to J.P. Morgan should narrow because City and Bank America are obviously not going to blow up like they did back in 2008-9. So I think you're looking at it the right way, and City is an attractively priced stock at these levels. Hey, Gerard, it's Tim. What are you doing with the reserve provisions and how we should look at them as, you know, essentially tailwind profitability that still is, is the investor's friend going into a period of economic expansion? Seemingly uh, better credit story over the next 12 months. Tim, you're so right. The, the loan loss reserve releases, and Karen touched on this in her comments, they were enormous today, particularly for J.P. Morgan. J.P. Morgan already said today, They have another $10 billion if they want to release. So as we go into a stronger economy, because of what happened last year and because of the change in accounting, the banks have built up reserves to levels that they're not going to use. And this is very similar to what we saw in 2011, 12, and 13. So what happens is, I agree, nobody pays up for that in earnings, but it goes to Guy's point about tangible book value growth and book value for share growth. That will drive book value and tangible book value per share growth, which will drive these stocks higher, in our opinion. All right. Gerard, great to speak with you. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you, Melissa. Gerard Cassidy of RBC. Dan, what'd you make of the banks? Uh, Mel, I'm like just distracted. Gollum over his left shoulder was like the weirdest thing I've seen all day, to be very frank. Um, But as far as the bank price action, I mean, listen, I I think if you look at the XLF here and you look at the uptrend that it's been in since this, uh, you know, November breakout where we got the vaccine news and the election, that sort of thing, it's just held that uptrend and it's right in the middle of that trend channel. So to me, until that's broken, you probably stay the course. There's just a lot of 
bullish things going on as it relates to those um, unlocking of those long lost reserves, and which may give them the opportunity um, to be a bit more opportunistic um, on the investment side that Karen is looking for for some of these big banks. All right. Coming up, looking to take advantage of earnings volatility. Goldman Sachs out with a list of stocks that are ready to rally. Our traders will break down which names they see moving higher from here. We've got the trades next. And later, does X mark the spot? Shares of U.S. Steel soaring today. We'll dig into what is boosting that name. Much more fast. Straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. As earnings season kicks off, Goldman Sachs out with a list of underperforming stocks that could catch a relief rally on the back of their reports. Some of the names making their cut include AMD, MasterCard, Verizon, Visa, and many more. To catch the full list, you could head on over to CNBC.com slash pro. But Guy, which stock do you think is ready to go higher after earnings? I, I, I looked through that list, and the mm. first stock that came out to me, jumped at me, was T-Mobile. Obviously, listen, John Ledger did a great job while he was there, but the transition of Mike Siever has been seamless. They have the earnings growth, in my opinion, to back up the valuation. The stock has stalled since making an all-time high, but I think in earnings in April 28th, it goes higher. On the flip side, by the way, uh, on the faded, if we were to play that game, it would be Verizon for exactly the same reasons, except the Verizon has been so far behind the eight ball and behind the curve. That's the reason why you've owned T-Mobile against Verizon and AT&T over the years. So no earnings growth for Verizon. Mm. Excellent growth for T-Mobile. I like TMUS. <laughs> Karen, which ones uh, caught your eye? Yeah. Well, Verizon, actually. Um, I mean, I hear what Guy is saying, but I guess I'm thinking about it a little bit differently, which is um, P-E ratio. We never say buy something for a dividend yield, but here are the dividends, 4.35%. I think we feel more comfortable that they will be able to continue paying the dividend. At one point a while ago, there was some fear, and I don't think that's relevant right now. But So when I think about just risk-reward and how high is the bar, it doesn't seem that high to me. And if we're in that scenario where prices, I mean, inflation really starts to move, you want to be in low P-E stocks. So I think Verizon here, the risk reward is compelling, not a ton of downside. All right. Dan? Uh, yeah, so AMD caught my eye. I know Guy Power pitched it a few weeks ago. I think higher, just so you know. Um, you know, I, I think it makes sense here in the high 70s. I think there has uh, really good technical support going back six or seven months or so in the mid-70s, but the stock's down about 21% from its recent all-time highs. I think if you have a combination of good earnings, more clarity on the Xilinx deal, um, and maybe some more clarity on how they plan to kind of hit some of these supply issues they have, I think you have the stock back up, um, trending towards those prior all-time highs. And then on the flip side, you know, ICE, this stock just made a new all-time high today, broke out of a very nice consolidation here, but it reversed. And I just think you might see some consolidation in this one back towards 110. So to me, I wouldn't be buying that breakout in the ice, but I would be playing for um, a catch-up trade to the SMH and the AMD. And Tim, which pair are you looking at? Well, uh, on the bull side, I'm, I'm a lot more bullish on CF Industries than I'm bearish on Charter. But, uh, you know, let's talk about CF for a second. I, I think as you look at the ag space, but particularly the nitrogen fertilizers, and you look at where prices are and you look at the outlook, um, it, it, the, the operational leverage in these businesses is extraordinary. The, the, the supply response that you always inevitably get 
especially in the ag space, is something that I think is at least 18 months away. And, and uh, evaluation, you don't buy commodities when they're cheap. Um, you probably buy them when they're starting to get expensive. And this one um, is somewhere in between, meaning I think you have an even longer runway to go here. Uh, you know, again, I think the entire ag space, along with some other parts of the reflation story, is, uh, are, are alive and well. On Charter, look, I, I just I don't see the catalyst here to breaking out of this range. Uh, the stock's you know, largely been dead money for the last nine months during a period where some of the peer group really have actually seen catalysts to, to outperformance. So uh, staying away from Charter here. All right. Coming up, the housing market has been red hot lately, but is the bubble ready to burst? Why everybody seems to be searching for answers. Plus, pedal to the metal, U.S. steel surging higher today. The traders are breaking down this move when fast money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've done After Hours Alert on Dell. Shares are soaring after the company said it will spin off VMware to form two standalone companies. VMware will distribute a special cash dividend totaling roughly $12 billion to all VM shareholders, including Dell Technologies. And, Guy, I feel like we've been talking about a VMware spinoff for, for more than a decade at this point. <laughs> oh. No, no doubt. It's funny you said, I was just thinking, I mean, back in the day, it was EMC, VMware. Right. I know you remember that. We seemingly talked about it every night. And, you know, Dell's one of those great stories that we probably don't talk about enough. But if you're asking me how to trade Dell on the back of this, now the stock north of 100. Valuation, look, it's still reasonable. Trades below a market multiple. But I think you take the money and run in Dell. It's had a tremendous run. I think the report in early June, I think... Um, I think there's going to be a pullback, and I think you use this opportunity north of 100 to take profits in the name. All right, let's move on to tonight's big number, and that would be 2,450%. That is the increase in Google searches of people asking, when is the housing market going to crash? So is this yet another sign of the times in the housing market? Dan, I thought this was really interesting. I don't. I wonder who actually types that in. When is something going to crash? But that's that's another issue. People people who want to buy a home are typing that in, right? Um, or nervous about how much their house is appreciated. Yeah, you know, this is a really interesting one. Um, you know, even with rates going up, we know there's some supply um, constraints, and, and I know that that Tim and Karen have talked about this a lot. You know, what really caught my eye, and we haven't been talking about. Look at the chart of like Lowe's and Home Depot and the home improvement sector. Look at these things have gone up 30% in a straight line in about five weeks. And what I really find fascinating about the home improvement sector is that these charts were really trending lower. They were in very well-defined downtrends. Even after their earnings came out in late February, they actually broke those downtrends and then all of a sudden up in a straight line. It's like somebody is Googling something else uh, and I don't even want to go there. So to me, these look a bit uh, hot. If you were worried about their valuation, um, back in February and early March, you have to be a bit concerned right now because growth is not expected to keep up with what looks like to be mid-20s um, you know, uh, PEs right here. Karen, does it make you nervous that so many people are, are putting that question into the search engine? No, it actually doesn't. It makes me think that people are really afraid that the market's going to crash. It's sort of the opposite of, you know, what that was that magazine cover we had the other day? Something about stonks, spacs, yep. NFTs, and there was something else in there. And was that the peak? I think this uh, is is the housing market going to crash? No, I still think the supply demand dynamic is is uh, much to the support of the housing market. So I'm long Lowe's. I'm long Home Depot. I'm also long Whirlpool. Um, and I think that um, pandemic, no pandemic. 
the consumer wants to spend money on their home. And so, I don't know, I like those trades, Whirlpool being the cheapest of the bunch. All right. It's somewhat of a different animal, but related. Coming up, pump up the Metallica. We're going heavy metal. U.S. Steel making some big moves today, and the traders have been all over this one. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. U.S. Steel topping the tape today, jumping more than 7%. Tim, you flagged the move, so what's the trade here? Well, let's, and let's use your Metallica reference. I mean, look, 15 months ago, it was, it was you know, enter Sandman, and, and you know, nothing else mattered for, for this stock other than the price of steel and a levered balance sheet. But look, hot rolled coil prices are near 12-year highs. The inventories are low. We're talking about housing. We're talking about infrastructure. We're talking about a balance sheet with sensitivity. I, look, I, I think the stock can continue to go higher. It's a volatile ride, but um, I'm long U.S. steel and have been and, and stay there. All right. We spotted another heavy metal trade in the options market. Let's get to Mike Coe with the action. Hey, Mike. Yeah, so uh, U.S. Steel did see unusual call buying, but so did Cleveland Cliffs, another steel maker. We saw calls outpaced puts by more than six to one. Among the most active options were the May 19 strike calls. Those were trading for about a dollar sixty, over three thousand of them ultimately trading hands. Buyers of those were obviously betting that the stock can rise above that nineteen dollar strike price by May expiration, which is a little over five weeks away. That would represent an increase of a little over eleven percent over the next five weeks. Uh, Guy Dami, I feel like it's classic fast money night tonight because we had Cleveland Cliffs, we had CF Industries, X, you know, Letter X. I mean, there's all these Get sort of Agrium old names. in there, Nucor, Molybdenum. Listen, yeah. Potash. You know, Tim is right about U.S. Steel. By the way, go back to March of 2018 when President Trump started talking about the tariffs. U.S. Steel was on its way to 50 bucks and it stopped dead in its tracks and went from 44 down to nine. The environment today is better than it was then. And, oh, by the way, U.S. Steel is a better operator today than they were then. So you can do the math to think where I think U.S. Steel is headed back to, Mel. And that is classic FM for you. It is. Mike Coe, good to see you. Thanks. For more Options Action, be sure to tune Uh into the full show. Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim. Phosphates, nitrogen, potash. Look, CF, I think, is a story. Whether it's classic fast money or not, I think it's going higher. Karen. Yeah, part of my own big cap pharma ETF, Bristol Myers. Dan. Yeah, I'm with Karen. Uh, Bristol and Pfizer. I like Pfizer. (laughs) Guy. Yeah, I'm with J.P. Morgan, who put a $250 price target on Dollar General back in March. D.G. Thanks for watching Fast Money. We will see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.